Good morning, everyone. Let's pray together. Father, as we joined in Psalm 51 earlier, we said together, fill my heart with your wisdom. And that is indeed our prayer, our ongoing prayer now, that as we hear from your word, you will fill our hearts with your wisdom so that your own character may be increasingly reflected in our lives and bring you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're thinking about wisdom this morning. Everyone today wants to know how to live life successfully. Have you noticed on airport bookshelves that the how-to section is absolutely enormous? How to manage your money, uh, get new friends, um, handle failure, handle success, how to manage anxiety, how to recognise true love. They're all whopping great books and people sit with a furrowed brow on a long flight and by the end, they hope that it'll all get sorted. And the big issue they have in their minds or their lives will be sorted. Well, marvellously, God's word has something to say on all the above. So you don't need to add about nine kilos to your luggage. All you need is a Bible and a heart to hear God. This week, Peter and I had lunch together with a friend um, who works up in London and who does seminars in the city for top executives on how to grow relationships on the basis of trust. And his clients recognise that business grows when people have bonded, when they feel real trust one for another. And they recognise, uh, which is why they pay him, that this particular expert seems to have extraordinary insight into how relationships work. Why does he? Because he's a keen Christian. And he has spent quite a lot of time burrowing into his Bible, and there he finds out how God wants us to treat one another. And people are very glad of the wisdom that he brings into their boardrooms. Well, God's wisdom works in a really practical way. Uh, in verse 18 of our reading, it actually was put rather poetically. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. But it may be, especially this week, that those same business people will have been asking themselves not just business uh, questions, but more personal ones. After the attack by Khaled Massoud, maybe they have actually gone to work with fear in their hearts. Maybe they're worried not so much for themselves as for someone they love on the streets of London or elsewhere, indeed. Or maybe they've been asking deeper questions than that about society and what the divisions are about. Or indeed, about how they should respond, either as a Christian or not as a Christian, to people who attack us and have very different um, approaches. Does what does God have to say about our loving our enemy? Well, there are masses of reasons to delve into God's word and wisdom. And this passage that we've had uh, read to us, thank you very much indeed, Ernie, um, gives us lots of them. 
we learn life's secrets from the one who created our life in the first place. We gain peace and a good reputation. It brings health and blessings of all sorts. Reading and marking and learning and inwardly digesting God's word gives innumerable blessings. Primarily, though, we get to know not just lots of truths, but the God of truth, his character, his ways, his priorities, and how we can grow close to him and become more like him. And it is this more than anything else, I believe, which the enemy of our souls opposes. I do believe that the enemy has a strategy to deceive us. Individuals, couples, families, churches, communities, even cultures and nations into believing and valuing what opposes God's truth or is out of alignment with his truth. So we have three simple but vital steps this morning. Um, and Peter pointed out to me that my, the first letters are HST. So if you're into high speed trains, then it may be easy to remember. Anyway, the first one is hang your everything on God's word and wisdom. Secondly, submit in everything to God's word and wisdom. And thirdly, test everything against God's word and wisdom. So firstly, hang your everything on God's word and wisdom. Let me show you something. It may be that you, for you, God's word is a hook. But if it's this sort of little hook, can you see it? It's a picture hook. And um, it may be that the danger of that sort of little hook is that it goes up on the wall of your life, so to speak. It just goes there and you hang a little biblical thought, a little sort of blessed encouragement of one sort or another, and it hangs there. But I don't know about you, but I find that stuff that is on the wall and only on the wall regularly, I go blind to. Do you? You just stop noticing it. And that can happen to the word of God unless it's something more precious and more active and dynamic in our lives than just a sort of background, decorative, encouraging sort of thing. Alternatively, a rather different sort of hook. In the summer, we hang a hammock on this. And I am glad to say, given how I am, that it is an extraordinarily strong and solid hook. And I trust my life to this as it hangs off a tree. And I am very grateful that when I am lying there, I am not remotely anxious. Indeed, I am probably at my most relaxed. It's absolutely wonderful when you find something that holds you steady. And the word of God can be like that, such that we find we can trust our life to it. For me, I think um, the time that I go back to, I didn't trust my physical life to it, but I did find that I trusted my emotional life and sanity to a promise in the word of God. I go back to, um, and forgive me if I've said this before, but for me it was so key. It's a really key personal memory. Um, the church service where our son Ben's um, regiment was going off to Afghanistan 
quite an extraordinary atmosphere in the cathedral in Aldershot. And um, we arrived early, and my heart was full of the fact that I was waving him goodbye for seven months. And being an infantry officer, he tends to be the first man on the ground um, into the unknown. And therefore, you're crossing unknown ground very vulnerably and going into maybe a Taliban um, stronghold of some sort. And you may, in there, find a little cowering grandmother and 17 kids and chickens and goats and everything else. And suddenly, you are there as a protector. Or you may go in there and find that it is bristling with fighters and you're the first man through the door. And obviously, I knew about that. And my heart was full. And I went and said to the Lord, speak to me, speak to me, because I do not want to spend seven months paralyzed with fear. And I had met other mums and fiancés and wives and loved ones of the regiment who do spend all the time the regiment is abroad in sort of almost suspended animation, unable to watch the news and generally completely shut down until they walk back through the door. And I knew that God had more for me because I do not need to live with that sort of fear. And I said to the Lord, give me your word. And he gave me Psalm 34, 4, which, because he knows that when you're in, you are potentially fearful, you need something really simple and direct, is very simple and direct. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. And that's got only two things in it, something I do and something God does. So I was doing my bit. I sought the Lord. And I then decided to trust, knew that I could trust, that God would do his bit. He answered me and delivered all my fears. And I then engaged imagination, which I find is a great help. I bundled my fears up in a, the sort of bundle that um, uh, you, you can picture, a sort of piggling bland bundle. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever. And I bundled all my fears up and I shoved them under the seat ahead of me, as it were, in my imagination. And I said, Lord, I am leaving these fears in your house here and I am not going out with them and I'm not going to return to them. And throughout that seven months, I lived in peace. No credit to me. I am an ordinary mum and actually a particularly tearful and emotional one. But I lived in peace because God's word was a solid hook to hang my life on. So let's hang everything on him. It's a choice of the will to trust his word. Secondly, submit in everything to God's word and wisdom. In my experience, if you take God's word ser seriously then at some point, the crunch will come. You will read a verse, you will find that it speaks very directly to you, and you will find a real temptation to wriggle out of being obedient. You will find a horrible recognition that God does seem to mean what he says, and that has uh, meanings for you. You will find perhaps a sinful unwillingness to put aside your preferences or give up your independence on some issue. Because, as we know again from the Bible, God's ways are not our ways. And our passage this morning said, lean not on your own understanding. 
So this means we are not free to pick and choose cheerful verses that we like and suit us and to reject other verses which seem to have more of a challenge within them. I have never forgotten uh, leading a Bible study some while ago and uh, a verse came up which was quite controversial for a particular girl in that um, in the Bible study. And she leant across, quite aggressively across the thing, and she said, you don't think that God actually means this? And I said, well, I do think we have to take it. Anyway, I got about that far, and at that point, she just reached down and she grabbed the page and she pulled it out of her Bible, scrambled it up and threw the page over her shoulder and said, well, that's that for a start. <laughs> well, you can imagine, it, was, it landed as quite a sort of thing in the Bible. Oh, we really do have to think about how God's word impacts us. She at least was taking it seriously, but her reaction was, no, thank you. And sometimes those challenges come. What a contrast to a Ugandan pastor, I remember, uh, when we were in uh, a church about uh, 10 years ago or so. Um, we had a, a visiting speaker, and he was the most glorious, smiley Ugandan pastor. He was wide, and his smile seemed to be wider than he was. It was absolutely lovely. And uh, he was talking about the Bible. And um, he took his Bible in his hand, and he said, in Uganda, we say this. And then he held it up and he said, this is my Bible. And, and then he looked round at us and there was no response because, of course, we're all frightfully British. So we were all just sitting there and feeling very slightly embarrassed about the fact that he was being rather loud. And he said, follow me. So we, take your Bible. So we, <laughs> most of us had Bibles. So we picked up our Bibles. Hold it up. So after me, phrase by phrase, this is my Bible. This is my Bible. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And then he put it on his head and he said, because this is God's word, I will obey every word in here. You could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> and we say, because this is God's word, I will obey every word in it. Do you know, that's what we've all signed up to if we're Christians. But when it was put that straightforwardly, when it was played out in front of us like that, it was quite a challenge. Blow me down, that's quite true. If it's God's word, I have signed up to obey every word in it. Well, that means that there was not only some slight cultural reluctance to follow him, but that's just the British thing, but I found some personal reluctance in me as well. Now, of course, there are some commandments in the Bible which probably don't give us problems. I bet you don't have a particular problem about coveting your neighbour's ox. But if one translates that to their new car or a particularly lovely holiday, then it may get to us a little bit more. Or the command, don't worry. Or forgive others so that you can be forgiven. I find, maybe you do too, that we can tend to justify our disobedience in those areas by saying, but it's natural to worry. Or if you knew how difficult so-and-so is, how can I possibly be expected to forgive them? Anyone would find it hard to forgive. And that is quite true in purely human and natural terms. But we Christians are not just anyone. 
We have been given not just commandments, but the spiritual resources to carry them out. In Jesus' strength, with the Bible not just as our challenge, but also as our help, we can actually see those commandments fulfilled. And we can find that way beyond our human and natural strength, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us the minute he knows that in our hearts we are saying, I will submit, I want to do it your way. He rushes to help us so that we can obey God's word. I know this with forgiveness. For a very long while, I struggled to forgive someone who was a constant source of stress and negativity. And in an awful way, I didn't really want to forgive her because it sort of felt as if I would be letting her off, if you know what I mean. But God wouldn't let me off. I knew he required me to make a choice of the will so that I would say to him and really mean it, I will forgive because Jesus' death has caused all sin to be washed away if it is repented of. And I am not this person's judge. And I will choose to forgive whatever my feelings. And my testimony would be that when I decided, again, a matter of the will, when I obeyed, my perspective really began to change. Compassion and patience grew and resentment withered. And the relationship began to change and then to blossom. It was for me a really good example, personal example, of verse 17 from our passage, which is, wisdom's ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. So hang everything on God's word. Submit everything to God's word. And lastly, test everything against God's word and wisdom. There is lots of talk, isn't there, in the public realm about fake news. Some politicians will dismiss any fact that they don't like as fake news. Other so-called facts really are fake news. Some really bizarre stuff goes out into the wider world on social media, and it's really hard to dispel it once it's out there. So lots of people are talking about what is true, and that is really good for us Christians, because we've got the answer. But lots of other people are very confused about this. What is true, and how can you tell? And also, what should we tell our children and how can we teach them how to assess what they are reading online or elsewhere? And they are all vital questions. I learned from the Lent course that in Orthodox churches, the reading of the Bible is introduced by somebody saying, wisdom, attend. And that is really striking and really good and quite right. Because whenever we find ourselves confused by what is true or what is false, the key thing to do is run back to what you know is true, to eternal truth. Test everything against what God's word and wisdom. 
As you listen to the news and hear public figures make pronouncements of some sort, get into the habit of quietly asking yourself, is that what God says? Is that true? Is that compatible with the Bible? And that's what to teach the children to do, too, as they watch soaps or read stuff online or whatever. Indeed, it's one of the best questions to ask with every area of life. It gives children and us the arbiter of ultimate truth against which other things can be measured. And we can also do this personally, not just about public life. There can be a gap between our excellent theory, where those of us who may have read our Bibles for a while know technically what is truth, there can be a gap between that and the evidence that comes from our behaviour of what we actually believe deep down inside. A personal example for me would be the fact that I had um, ME for two and a half years. So I spent two and a half years on my sofa, really, which didn't suit my temperament brilliantly. And, um, but because I was uncharacteristically quiet and still, God really got my attention. And one day I knew that God was saying to me, if you were never to leave your sofa again, never to be able to be active or useful to me again, do you truly believe that I would still love you as much and be just as pleased with you? I knew the answer. Of course, the answer should be yes. But do you know, deep down in my heart, there was such a struggle because I wanted to be a good girl. I wanted to please God by being busy. I was always active and busting about the place. And it showed me that deep down, I felt that I had something I needed to prove to God. But actually, I learned to ask that key question. Is that really what God says? And I went back to my Bible and it is quite clear that God loves us as his children, not as his servants. He loves us because he made us and because he's a loving father, not because we are chalking up tasks for him. And that showed me that what I believe, not in my head, which was fine and straight, but what I apparently had really believed in my heart was wrong. Well, when you've got God's truth and what you believe that's wrong, something has to give. And I am glad to say that he did set me right in my heart and in my understanding. And it made all the difference. Because um, when I stopped rushing about, because God had changed my understanding of what truth really is, the fatigue began to drop away. And the peace that he promises that passes all understanding began to take place in a deep place in my life. And then just what verse 8 says, this will bring health to your body. It did. I got well. I am so grateful to God for that. And actually, that is still the case in that area. If um, I allow my mind to lose his truth, then I lose his peace, and then the fatigue threatens to come back and overwhelm me. But if I retain his truth, I retain his peace, and I remain well, and the fatigue has no grip on me. Secondly, have you noticed that different people struggle with different areas of 
unbelief. You may say, know that God is faithful, but your lovely Christian friend somehow is not so sure. This is usually, simply, because we've all had different experiences in life and received, many of us, emotional wounds. And those emotional wounds predispose, predispose us to unbelief about particular areas of God's truth and about God's character. Let me make this clear with one final example. When our son Ben was two and a half, his younger brother Sebastian died um, as a cot death. And um, then um, when he was 12, his younger sister was stillborn at full term. So he lost a second sibling. And in particular, he had very much, he had really pinned everything um, for himself emotionally on that uh, baby being a comfort to him in his sense of loss. So when that second baby died, I remember very clearly his saying to me, I've worked out that daddy is a better father than God. Because if God's God at all, he had a choice and he chose to screw my life up. Whereas if daddy had had a choice, he would never have done that to me. That is a really painful thing to hear from your son. Really agonizing. And I knew that it was not true. I knew that God is the best ever father. But at the same time, I really understood why what Ben had gone through had seemed to give evidence that God was not a father that he could trust. And indeed, over the next few years, he gradually withdrew from trusting God. I think it was a real fear that something else would happen. And he felt safer by withdrawing and thinking, if I don't make myself open to God, then he can't wallop me another one. Wonderfully, God has come close to Ben now and again. But he really, Ben really, needed healing. And in particular, he needed to look at that fundamental area where he had drawn the wrong conclusion, where he had been deceived in thinking that God was not a, a father you could trust. And he needed to look at that and to decide that he would trust God's character above everything. It may be that you too have had some sort of an experience which seems to undermine biblical truth. But God can bring healing in that area and he can re-establish his truth in your life, especially about his own nature. And when he does that, you will find that these verses come alive for you. If there's an area of confusion or anger or bitterness or pain, that can be fully healed and set aside. In the next chapter, Solomon says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Or another translation puts it, because all else in your life flows from it. So let's do just that. Guard our hearts by filling them with what's true and loving and flows from God's spirit.
So hang everything on God's word and wisdom. Submit to it. Test every belief and every reaction against it. And then we are promised, Proverbs 4.12, when you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. If he says it, I believe it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.